When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to More Than Amused. I'm Sadie. And I'm Stani. And this is technically our bonus episode for the month of July. Yes. We were a little bit delayed in getting it out just due to us being out of town and things like that. Mm -hmm. But we're here and we read a book during July and I'm really excited to talk about it. Oh man, this book is so good. Like I knew it was good when we referenced it in a previous episode, but like reading through everything, I was like, oh, it's so well researched, just so well thought Mm -hmm. out. Like I had my highlighter and I was like going crazy in different passages of like, I know I need to remember this. I have most of, I just have so many things highlighted throughout different (laughs) chapters, but it's more than a muse, Mm -hmm. which of course, you know, we're big fans of the title. Oh yeah. Considering you know, this is more than a muse podcast, <laughs> but the subheading for this book is creative partnerships that sold women short. Mm-hmm. It really, what it does is it just goes through chapter by chapter of just different instances. Sometimes it's individuals or sometimes it's entire movements where women were overshadowed by their male counterparts or written out. And what's so interesting is it's like, as we've been doing this, I mean, we've been doing this, what, podcast for nine months now. Mm-hmm. It's been a, almost a year we're coming on. Yeah. And what's so crazy to me is there were a couple things in the book that I was reading. I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Or, oh, yeah, I've researched it. I think there's one artist in here that we have an episode for. What that shows me is it's like we've only barely scratched the surface and we've been doing this for nine months. Yeah. Which just shows that, like, there are actual issues. You know what I mean? If we needed further proof, I think that is evidence. I know. I think we found it. Because <laughs> I think sometimes when like you bring up like, oh, there's sexism, people are like, oh, no, just that one individual experienced sexism, but it's not a system that is perpetuating mm-hmm. it. When it's like, okay, <laughs> but if there is this whole book that can give very specific instances where women were sold short specifically because of their gender yeah and we've been doing this for almost a year and very little of our research and this book's research has overlapped like maybe just perhaps it is not an individual thing perhaps it is a system thing that is allowing these things to happen over and oh over again. yeah but that's just my thoughts <laughs> no I completely agree because it's like if you start out the beginning of the chapter it begins in the 1800s like 1848 mm-hmm. And the last chapter was the 1980s. And if it's the same problems and like systematic issues from the 1840s to the to the 1980s, I think that shows like how deep this problem goes and how overarching and all encompassing it is. (laughs) 
And also, like, it's not like these chapters are specifically about painters. Mm -mm. I think the majority of them are visual artists, but there are sculptors, piano players, musicians, video, like, artists. Like, there's photography. Yeah. It's not specifically within one art medium. Yeah. Here, I'm just going to list off really quick who is in this because... Oh, no, I love that. Yeah. Definitely do that. So the first chapter focuses on the pre-Raphael, uh, pre-Raphaelette women, which, oh my gosh, that word is hard to say. They often sum it up to like pre-Raphs, which is a lot easier to say, or the PBR mm. is what it's known as. It's the pre-Raphaelette brotherhood because there was like mm. a brotherhood during that time period of like painters and everything that they were so focused on. Um, and in this one, she talked about a few of them. She talked about Elizabeth Sedell, who was famously the model for that super famous painting by John Malais of Ophelia. So it's the woman laying in oh, water yeah. with the flowers surrounding her. I'm pretty sure if anyone looked it up, they'd recognize it, even if you don't know her name. She also talked about Fanny Eaton, who was actually mm. a model as well and a woman of mixed race heritage, which was really interesting to read about. And then there was also Maria Zambaco, who she touched on very briefly. Marie Stillman, who also was very brief. And then I think overall just kind of talked about the movement of pre-Raphaelette in general. Where women fit into that, even though they are not remembered. Yes. No, one of the things that was so interesting about Elizabeth Sedal to me was that, like, so when she was posing for that portrait of Ophelia for mm-hmm. Malaeus, she literally almost died from hypothermia because she was submerged oh, yeah. in the water. And I've heard that before. But then she was like, now it's just an antidote to be doled out at tour groups. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is. It's totally treated as an anecdote. Like this woman nearly dying when posing for a portrait. Wow, isn't that a cool random fact? (laughs) Yeah. When it's like, uh, she literally almost died and we're just throwing it around like, oh, how funny that this artist was so absorbed in his painting. He didn't notice that the model in front of him was dying. he literally almost murdered the model who was (laughs) helping him out. Yeah. And just like the artist's obsession with her, that he like, he buried his poetry with her body and then later like dug it up because he was like, oh, my poetry can't exist without her on the earth. And later he was like, oh, I need that. Actually, I think I want to publish it. (laughs) That's like what I think is such a like a theme of this book is that there are so many men who became so hyper fixated on the women who were quote unquote their muses. But it's it wasn't like a healthy reference. No, you know, it was definitely the obsession that turned. I I don't know if well, maybe abusive. I think that's fair to say. I think in in some of these instances, quite a few cases and. I think more than anything, the problem is, is they turned them into like almost inhuman creatures. Yeah, exactly. Like they weren't human beings anymore. Yeah. Like they turned them into sort of these objects of their creation. Yeah. And that was kind of something that she mentioned in here, too, is that people have a hard time even separating her like from a character in Hamlet because she was so mythologized and so like talked about in all these ways like people blamed her for dissolving the pre-raphaelette brotherhood and like all these things that 
we aren't even able to see her as a historical figure anymore. She's seen as like this mythological creature. When it's like she was a person who actually was also an artist herself. And now none of that is even remembered because it's through the lens of like these men and what their viewpoint of her was. Yeah, which is so crazy. It's also kind of funny. One of the things that shows up over and over again is women receiving praise for painting like a man. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. And you'll see that probably in every single chapter that when the women do break through in their time period, they receive praise for painting like a man. It was a really good chapter. And I'm realizing that there's so little I truly know about art history. <laughs> yeah, well, even me. Even, like, like I said, even after doing this for nine months, I'm still like, oh my gosh, there's so much. <laughs> I know, like I remember learning about the Raphaelite Brotherhood. And um, I think I even saw the title of a book called like the Raphaelette Sisterhood. And I was like, oh, that would be interesting to read because we didn't cover any female artists Mm -hmm. in this time period at all. And I think like even if you're not going to talk about the specific female artists and their work, like at least try to give a little bit more credit to the women that were in these paintings (laughs) that these men just completely dehumanized. Like, one of even the guys calling his models pets. Oh, that's so gross. Yeah, and it's like, they completely dehumanized these women. And it would it's really important for us to not do that when we're talking about men's art of women, that we're not mm-hmm. also doing that to them. Anything else about this chapter, or should we go on? No, it's really good. I think we have a future episode on pre sisterhood. Know. So many of these chapters is like, okay, so future episode. Okay, so we're talking yeah. about this eventually. Because it's so good. Every single and you one. could just we could just use this chapter honestly as our research I for know it. so good the next chapter was on Clara Schumann and um we've done an episode on Clara. yes it was one of our first yeah and I was gonna say like this is the artist who actually like got me interested in like doing this podcast and so I really loved that this was in it but I really thought it was interesting too because it actually gave me a different perspective because if you go back and listen to the episode that we did I think it was like our fourth episode ever It was very much like, oh, isn't Clara and Robert so romantic and her horrible father who stopped them from getting married and things like that. Like that was definitely my viewpoint. But she kind of brought up the fact that like there was definitely a power dynamic because of the age gap and the difference. And I think in my head, I was like, ah, different time period. It's okay." But I think now like reading that chapter, I was like, no, even if maybe it was more normal, like it doesn't erase the power imbalance that obviously existed in their relationship and that there's maybe a little bit more nuance to it like obviously I'm not gonna speak on what exactly that relationship was I don't know maybe it really was a healthy okay relationship for her but I think it kind of like called me out in that way you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like there's more to this than not just like the nice romantic relationship full of passion and intensity like Maybe there was something not quite right about it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I completely agree. One thing that it kind of made me think differently about is we talked about how she premiered a lot of his work at her shows. Mm -hmm. But then it said later that, like, when he was shut away in his room, like, composing, he wouldn't allow her to preview the music. Oh, yeah. And, like, how hurtful that would be to, like, put your neck out on the line at your shows when you're more famous by like showing off this composer that's your husband Mm -hmm. and then when he's writing the music him not even letting you 
hear it at all. Yeah. You know, especially when like, it's not just like a random person. Like she's very skilled in music Mm -hmm. and composition. And I'm sure she would have been able to like give really good insight and feedback. And yet like he wasn't willing to do that, like to kind of do the same for her that she had done for him in a lot of ways. I I agree. Obviously, I knew a lot about Clara going into it, but same with that, like that story and that mention like there. I was like, oh, I don't know. It's like good to realize that things can be a little bit more complicated. Yeah. And obviously, like from history, how are we to know exactly what was happening? And, you know, speaking on behalf of like people's experiences, like we don't know. And I sometimes draw like I don't want to speculate too much on another person's life. But at the same time, it's yeah. just interesting. No, and definitely like even how the press treated her too. Yeah. There's this one quote from that chapter though that I love. It said, that cloud of self-doubt robbed us all of the Clara Schumann works that never made it to the page. And we owe it to her to make the most of the masterpieces that managed to escape the storm. Mm, I just love that. I, love I have that. to say too, like she is such a great author. Like there were so many just like phrases like that and just the wording that it was honestly like really beautiful the way she worded things here so I I yeah it's just so well written yeah it was definitely like poetic in all yeah very poetic Mm -hmm. but no like definitely made me think very differently about Clara like our episode was great but I think this was like a whole other like look at the relationship that they shared That was really exactly. So the third chapter is on the women of impressionism, which is an amazing chapter, Um, specifically Marie Brockmond and then a couple of others. There's like four of them. Chapter four is Camille Claudel, who is a master sculptor. Mm -hmm. And that was a really cool chapter. Yeah, definitely. But we're going to go through and just mention what each (laughs) chapter is so we don't get lost in a two and a half hour long discussion oh, about each chapter. Yeah, we could talk about every single chapter, obviously. Um, Anyways, but yes. yeah. Chapter five was Bohemian Dreams, who focused on Ida Nettleship and Hilda Carlyle. Mm, um, mm-hmm. That was kind of the beginning of like, I'm trying to remember what art movement they were associated with. To put it in perspective, it's around the same time period as Virginia Woolf and Vanessa Bell. Because it mentioned that like blooming. Yeah, the oh, Bloomsbury group. In London. So it was kind of like that bohemian lifestyle, like freedom, looser relationships in marriage and like all sorts of stuff like that. So that's kind of that time period. The bohemian Mm -hmm. artists. Chapter six was for Gabrielle Munter, Mm -hmm. who's the subheading there is the Blue Rider, um, which talked a lot about really just like the culture in Germany for women and women who are painting. There's a highlighted section that I have. I'm looking at my notes here that says, you see, miss, there are two types of women painters, those who want to marry and those who also have no talent. Yeah. That just kind of gives you a highlight of what that chapter discusses through her life. Yes. Chapter seven was Vavara Stepanova and Mm -hmm. constructing Russian art. And can I just say that Russian constructivism is actually one of my favorite art movements. So it was kind of fun to read Mm. more about this. Um, It seeps a lot into graphic design. So, Oh, cool. I had no idea. I love Russian constructivism. So really, really cool chapter. (laughs) I like don't want to sum her up by who she's married to. But her husband was Rodchenko, which is a very, very famous name. So it was interesting to read more about that relationship. (laughs) Totally. 
Chapter eight is Dada Vision. Is that, I'm assuming that's the correct way to say mm-hmm. it. And it focuses on mainly the artist Emmy Hennings and Baroness Elsa von Freytag Loringhoven, which is just a great name. Oh my gosh. Before I forget, this chapter was so eye-opening because if you've heard anything about Dada, you know about the the urinal that's titled The Fountain. And it's oh. Um, by, oh, what's his face? I think it's Machamp, but I could be wrong. And this kind of went into the whole like collaborative art of the Dada movement and how like mm. that could be wrongly attributed to him. And it could have been Baroness Elsa von Freetag Lorenhoven's work. Oh, yeah. So it was just so interesting because that's like one of the main art pieces Things. of yeah. the Dada movement. And like to think that that could be wrongly attributed attributed to a man when it's a woman's work was like well and the truth is is like this shows my gaps in art history because i never heard of the dada movement so it was like really cool to like learn about it through the lens of women for the first yeah no (laughs) definitely um chapter nine was lucia mahali which her name probably sounds familiar um she was one of the main photographers of the baja school which we talked Mm -hmm. about um in our weaving women episode but she was one of the photographers. Next one is Lil Hardin Armstrong and the Jazz Age. Oh, such a good episode. I mean, su- episode. <laughs> such a good chapter. Such a good episode. <laughs> yeah. I know. I just goes to show that it's like you think you know something. Like, I've studied jazz music in college. And I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> I love this chapter as well. Oh, it was so good. Chapter 11 was Alma Reville. Alma Reville is the um, silent partner. She was Alfred Hitchcock's wife. And it was insane because first off, I didn't know how much of a partnership Alfred Hitchcock relied on for everything. Mm -hmm. And like how uncredited she is when he is such a huge name. And like they never talked about how important her role was in all of it. So yeah, that was that was really eye opening. Chapter 12 is Josephine Nivison Hopper. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a quote that I have highlighted from this is Joe was portrayed by the media as a deluded opportunist opportunist trying to piggyback her legacy onto her husband's. But she had a successful career as an artist long before she married Edward, which is just a very another theme that is a thread that connects these chapters of all these women who are like, oh, good thing they're husband was there when it's like wait no actually they were pretty successful on their own right even before 13 is shirley graham du bois a renaissance woman the next one is surrealist women which is jacqueline lamba and suzanne cesar oh man that one was super interesting as well because the surrealism movement is a lot like dada where it was very capitalized by men chapter 15 was dora mar about radical photography that one was super Mm -hmm. cool too because it talked about like the whole movement of photography that she helped invent and it's like wrongly attributed to only her husband (laughs) 16 is lee krasner which we have talked about in the the good couples or bad couples i think we talked about them in our I think we kind of put them in an in-between. Yeah, I can't remember what couples. But yes, in February, for reference, we mentioned this book when we talked about famous art couples. And yeah, I think they're kind of an in-between couple. Mm -hmm. But yes, Lee Krasner is here. 
yes. in this book as well. So another one that we can actually yeah. double dip with. A beautiful abstract expressionist. Um, we actually have a bonus episode on this next one. Chapter 17 was on Margaret Keene. Um, who was the painter of the Big Eye paintings and whose husband pretended he painted them for his entire life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though she was actually the one who painted them. So, yeah, we have a whole bonus episode on that. And there's actually the movie that we talked about in our bonus epi- episode as That's well. That's a pretty good movie, too. Yeah, that was really good. So, Chapter 18. I'm so worried I'm going to say her name right, but it's what? Shigeko Kubota? I think so. Yeah. Which is, the subheading is the mother of video art. Um, I love this. I'm just going to read this like opening line from the chapter just because it summarizes it so well. But in the 1970s, Kubota was light years ahead prophesying with terrifying clarity how the permanence of video would come to define our lives. The way she saw it, video was not just a new artistic technology. The 20th century's answer to paintbrush and canvas, it was an entry point into a new liquid reality that offered infinite possibilities to reshape our view of the world. Mm. Which is insane. And like... I mean, she's very right. Like, obviously, video has become a very main part of our society. Yeah. And art. It's an art form. No, that one was really interesting as well. One of my favorite things that she does is in the last chapter, she kind of talks about what she set out to do and kind of what she realized in the end. And one of the things was is that she talks about how she initially started writing the book because she wanted to fight art monsters. And there's this passage in Jenny O'Phil's Department of Speculation, a novel that kind of talks about like the course of a marriage that Mm -hmm. says the main character, a Brooklyn writer, says, my plan was to never get married. I was going to be an art monster instead. Women almost never become art monsters because art monsters only concern themselves with art, never mundane things. Nabokov didn't even fold his own umbrella. Vera licked his stamps for him. Yeah. And kind of talks about how this art monster is like this man who relies on the support of his partner at the cost of that person's own time, own creativity, and their own chance for greatness. And a lot of times their own mental health. Yes, agreed. A lot of these women suffered greatly because of what their partners were putting on them. And it was definitely seen throughout every chapter how like the women continually promoted their partner. Um, Mm -hmm. Alfred Hitchcock was promoted by Alma. I think pretty much all of them, like Clara Schumann played her husband's works in concert. Multiple of the painters in here helped their husbands get their first exhibition as an artist and like promoted their work and said, oh, you should really consider this person. Like continually over and over again, the women would start out as the more experienced to the more established to the better known. Mm -hmm. And then they would promote their husband and their husband would surpass them in fame and kind of become this art monster in a lot of ways. And obviously, like we don't know the nuances, like you said, like looking back, it could have been a lot different than what we view it as now. But from reading it, that's what it looked like, <laughs> like that there were just these art monsters and these women were being pushed to the side. But one of the other things that she talked about that was so important and like I didn't think about in a lot of ways is that the second threat to women's art and that's even more terrifying than those art monsters during their life is the basement. And in multiple situations throughout all of this book, she brought up all of the situations in which the basement was the main enemy, like 
Lee Krasner had to sneak down into the basement to paint a still life of a fish because the subject mm-hmm. was prohibited to women. Which, by the way, why on earth weren't they allowed to paint a fish? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> That's the most random thing. Um, Lucy Mahali left her negatives with the Bajas, um, literally art monster, Walter Gropius. And he like hid them in his Lincoln basement and then would bring them out whenever he needed to develop photos for Baja's exhibitions without giving her any credit. Um, the Whitney Museum, when they were gifted a selection of 3,000 artworks by Josephine and Edward Hopper, they siphoned out Edward's works and put all of Josephine's in the basement because they didn't wow, care. what a theme. Yeah, and so it was like this kind of consistent problem where... In the majority of cases, the problem is our art institutions more so than the relationships that these women had with the artists themselves. Where it's like, we can do more now to like help than we can go back and like fix anything. But the problem is, is that yeah. these women are continually be- being put in the basements rather than being given the light of day mm-hmm. like every other artist that they I were agree. married to. I love the very last line of this book is so good. Well, the last two lines, I guess. So I'm just going to read them real quick. But it's, The lack of a solid foundation in art history placed all these artists in a protracted state of recovery. We need to move to the next phase to stop viewing such artists as overlooked or lost and just accept them as found. Yes. Which I really love just that point of it's like at a certain point, we kind of have the information or we have such readily access to information. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can find stuff about these people and to separate them so much and to just view them as like, oh, you know, lost. Is that really doing them a service? But if we put them on the same pedestal as the other artists of their times, then we just accept that they actually were always there. But there was just a period of time where we didn't give them the recognition that they deserved. Exactly. And I think it really shows like this weird phenomenon we have with like hiding and then uncovering women over and over mm-hmm. again. <laughs> she talked over about like over. Google doodle feminism where like these unknown women are like celebrated in this illustration, but then they disappear again after 24 hours. So like yeah. Clara Schumann, Von Vara, Stepanova, and Sophie Trabruarp were all a Google Doodle and then disappeared again. And so it's like we like galleries do shows on women and then the next year like nothing and then 10 years later they'll do the same show and be like oh when it's like why aren't we just putting them in with yeah where they belong it's like in the section of the gallery that talks about the raphaelette brotherhood add the paintings by the women like yeah (laughs) it shouldn't be that hard the, the women display yeah like you said once every 10 years to be like wow what an inspiring forgotten story it's like uh, you guys are the people who are continuously forgetting this Mm -hmm. like you have the power to change it yeah um (laughs) and that's the hard part with all of this is that it's like these women weren't a part of the same genre they weren't a part of the same fields the only reason they're in this book is because the same problems happened to all of them other than that the only other Mm -hmm. thing they have in common is that they were artists (laughs) Like, yeah, honestly. And that's something we talked about with our podcast as well. And the There Are No Great Women Artist episodes is that like women in art are not a 
it's not a genre like you can't put yeah. all of the women who painted side by side and expect them to all fit together just because they're women they belong they're also different yeah they belong to the art movements that they were a part of like the raphaelette women go there the like the bohemian impressionist women go there yeah and like and also too like we have there's a chapter on jazz music there's a chapter on like romantic composition like mm-hmm. we're putting them together in this obviously this book because they're women who are overlooked by their relationships but like just do an art display on all of these people like it's not the same thing no. that you're comparing them to yeah and when you talk about the history of film alma reville should be right there talking about the fact that she was one of the first female film editors which back then was not a computer software program it was cutting film and pasting it back together which is insane first insane. off yeah <laughs> Like, it just, it shows the holes that continue to pop up that, like, exist within our world and our society where the men feel entitled to treat the women in their lives this way. And then the Mm -hmm. institutions continue it after the women's deaths. Yes. I mean, like I said, it's such a good book. It tells so many just, like, cool, interesting stories. And it's also very educational, where in the sense of, like, I didn't know anything about the Dada movement after that chapter I felt pretty well versed so it's like even if you don't feel like you know a lot about these different art movements that we mentioned she does a great job at like providing the education but then also like providing the context of how the women existed you know in those spaces so yeah no it's a great like overview of a very large chunk of time (laughs) yes (laughs) and a lot of very influential and overshadowed women within it I loved it it was amazing like you said she wrote poetically she Mm -hmm. included a section of pictures of each of them so you can kind of get a little bit of a better idea of who they were i like with this one and fangirls each of the chapters kind of switched to a different topic even though it was the same like each movement was a different chapter and in fangirls it was like each band was like a different chapter i feel like both of them are good ones that you could sit down and read like one chapter a day And you wouldn't Mm -hmm. feel disjointed or like in any way, like it won't feel chopped up because the whole story of like one person is in a chapter and then you get a new one in the next one. If you enjoy this podcast, I can guarantee you, you will enjoy this book. Oh yeah. (laughs) One other thing that was kind of funny that I thought was really cool as well is that she talked about how for a period of time, Frida Kahlo was considered one of these women like very overshadowed by her husband Diego Rivera and how that's completely changed now to the point where it's almost comical to think of that happening because she has so far surpassed surpassed him in fame that it's just almost hilarious to imagine her husband having more credit which I guess like just goes to show like that very last point she makes of it's Mm -hmm. like if you continue to view these women as lost they'll stay lost but it's like if you force them at the forefront then they can just become a regular part of like the artist that we know yeah and also with Artemisia Gentoski, who was one of our first as well and one of the first that I heard about Mm -hmm. because she was in my art history class thank heavens Um, But they did a whole exhibition on her. And then um, because of that, her painting Self-Portrait as St. Catherine of Alexandra is now in the permanent collection of the National Gallery of London. 
And so it kind of goes to show that like it can change, like things can happen. Like this is not hopeless. Like there is an opportunity for like change and for things to happen. It's just been very slow and very painful. (laughs) Yes. And that there's a lot of things that need to change in order for it to become more of a permanent situation, but where it is happening. So, well, again, everyone, it's more than a muse. Oh my gosh. I don't think we even mentioned the author's name. Oh yeah. It's Katie McCabe. And she's great. We've actually talked to her on Instagram a lot. Um, I know she actually listens to the podcast. So hopefully we did a good job. I know. Lots more pressure when we know the person who wrote it. Yeah. Potentially listening. But Mm -hmm. we're big fans. Loved the book so much. Yes. It's a great book. Great author. She did a wonderful job. So well researched. So well written. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Yeah. If you get the book, tag us, message us share it because it's a great read oh so. yeah definitely and a great gift for anyone that and a great is gift. a female artist so yeah more than a muse creative partnerships that sold talented women short by katie mccab check it out and that's all oh i guess let's quickly mention our august book of the month oh yeah so we have a new book for august that we are reading which is exciting. And it goes hand in hand with one of our latest episodes that we just did on the Riot Girl movement. So yeah. it's called Girls to the Front, the True Story of the Riot Girl Revolution by Sarah Marcus. Learning about the Riot Girl movement was awesome. So I'm very excited to dive into it even more. Yeah, it was such a major like part of music history. So it's really interesting mm-hmm. to learn more about that. And I'm excited to kind of read like this background into everything because we only got to like touch on it so i know so if you want to check it out follow along with us learn more about it first off definitely go back and read that episode i mean not read that episode i guess if you want to (laughs) go back and listen to that episode thanks so much for listening and if you're enjoying just go leave us a review be great yeah do that yeah so we would love that and we love all of you and have a great week have a great week everyone Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.